0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash last Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Gollum Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother Dagan, Lumpy Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you today?
2: Whipster, whipster, whip, whipster. <laughs> Dude. Oh, uh, you guys are in for a
1: treat. Oh, man.
2: You guys wanted... are in for a treat.
1: <laughs> Ooh, well, you're feeling yourself today. Little, I, don't, I didn't know. Dylan. I didn't know I was going to do that. Hmm.
2: That's that's showbiz well,
1: though. Welcome one, welcome all to Knockback, our nice. retro and nostalgia podcast. Put up each and every week here on Patreon.com/slash Last Media, of course on YouTube and podcast services around the world as well. We appreciate your support, your love, your kindness. Today we do the Star Wars Christmas special from 1978. But before <laughs> we do, I want to consult with. Dagan, on how your life's going, we're recording on an unusual time and date here, we're recording, so we're stacking up a bunch of episodes so we can take some time off, so we're recording this on a Friday night, which is a little unusual. A
2: little unusual for us. Uh,
1: for us, but I'm coming off, I've I've recorded a bunch of podcasts over the last few days, I'm just, I'm rattling them <laughs> off, Yeah. You know? so making good time here as it were, and uh, I'm curious how everything's going with you since we last spoke.
2: I was thinking about that, you were recording a bunch of podcasts the last couple of days, I'm just coming off a full day of work, the day job at Nick. I feel like we're in the right headspace to tackle this topic. Like Definitely. we might as well be a little bit exhausted, a little bit already, like you know, in that in that headspace. And uh, I think it's prime. I think it's really a prime condition for what we're about to do. I, I don't think I'd have it any other way. Yeah, man. I I, w- I wanted to talk to you about this. You're a bit younger, so you might not be able to relate to this yet. But you know the whole idea of a senior moment, right? You, you, you say something stupid, you kind of catch yourself slipping, you know, just kind of like, you know, you have, you have a little moment there where you have a little lapse. And I always thought that was kind of a charming thing. Right. But I think I had an, I don't think I've ever had a senior moment until yesterday. I had an honest to goodness senior moment that kind of snapped me to attention and, I got to say, scared me a little bit. So I was talking to a good friend of mine at work. We were on a Zoom call. I think it was just Mm. me and him talking. Um, We're like the two art leads at work, so we were just talking about this and that. And he was telling me an anecdote about one of his parents. had I don't even know how we got on the subject. Had a heart doctor, a cardiac doctor, and his name was Dr. Love. Which I was like, oh, isn't that crazy? Like We just got into the whole sort of meandered, the conversation meandered over and got into the whole thing of like people having appropriate names for what they do. And I wanted to tell him something funny. (laughs) So I was like, I wanted to tell him about a guy that Helene used to work for. Before Helene got up to the high school, she worked for one of the junior highs in, in our district and her principal had a funny name. So I said, oh yeah, you know, Helene used to work for this guy. He was a principal. And of all things, his name was, and I, I couldn't think of it. I could not think of the guy's name, even though I had this funny thought. It just—I—I I didn't think of it until the next day. I had this probably was on Wednesday, so I had to tell him on Thursday. I was trying to tell him that the principal's name was Mister Scary, which I always that's thought was awesome. hilarious. And he was yeah, a great, great guy. He was like very—he was very cool, but he was very deadpan, and he had a very dry sense of humor. So mm-hmm. he—I think he kind of wore—he it. kind of carried that Mister Scary. He milked it. He—he he milked the whole Mister Scary label. But dude, as I was telling the story, it left my, it literally left my head, which had never I don't think that's ever really happened to me before, where I just couldn't get it back. Sometimes you have that momentary lapse where you're like, you'll just forget for a brief period, then it you know it'll pop back into your brain. But this time it didn't. And I was like, at first it was funny, I was kind of playing off like it was humorous, but it frightened me a little bit, Carl. Huh? I had my first maybe actual senior moment.
1: Yeah, I I can understand that. It's so funny you say that because I had a similar situation with Micah the other week where I was telling her about how the, I really liked the concierge of this building I lived in in Santa Monica. Okay, like the person that was there, and then I was like, I couldn't remember her name. I was like, yeah, I really liked it, but then I like could I, not remember what her name was. Her name was. Did Francine. you get it back? Did you remember now? I remember now. It's okay, Francine, right, but so it, I didn't remember any, I didn't remember anywhere remotely to in or in time. To tell her in a more timely fashion, and I don't even remember why I came. To... I don't even remember what I'm talking about when I'm in the middle of a sentence sometimes. So you get you get lost. You get lost. Definitely. Sometimes. Definitely. What, what's what's talking, up with you? Man? How you doing? I'm good. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing new going on really. Just uh, working for the weekend. You know? And uh, I hear you. Trying Almost to there. trying to get through this. And yeah, we're we're doing we're doing good. There's so much to do, but I, I it's it's good. Everything's going good i'm trying to i'm trying to build up a stockpile of episodes too so we can give the boys a little bit of time off editing everything so sure yeah that's what we're trying to do so we wanted to do this episode of the star wars christmas special from 1978 did we the little uh, well you (laughs) did i mean it was on your it was on your list of things you want to do this well i got all right so let me say this okay no hyper no zero hyperbole okay okay Okay. this is um maybe the worst thing i've ever seen and (laughs) I mean, as far as any television show, any movie, yeah, any piece of music that I've heard, like up there in my mind. With and you wouldn't know it off the top of your head, but people that listen to me for a long time know I fucking hate the song Eiffel, Eiffel sixty five songs, Blue. Do you remember that song from the nineties? I know. I'm blue, da da dee da da da. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yes, I know it. I think that might be the worst song ever made, and i've I've made that argument before that that might actually be the worst song ever. And this is. The Star Wars Christmas special is really on that level of bad. And it's, bad. it's not so bad it's good. No. It's not so bad, it's fun. It's not campy. It's not avant garde. Any of those things. It's actually really bad. Yes. And I must say, Dave, because you know, obviously we have inquiries from the audience. You guys can support us on oh, Patreon for early ad free access.
2: This is gonna Patreon. be Patreon.com
1: slash last damn media. And I was curious about this as well with you, Mm -hmm. because I've never seen this. And for some reason, I was never even curious about it. Even as a big Star Wars fan, I had no even inkling of curiosity about this. (laughs) I just didn't. I don't know why. I just I don't know. I, I really used to eat up everything Star Wars, and I never even looked for this like as a bootleg or I, and then when it was on the list, I'm like, OK, I'll sit down and watch the Star Wars Christmas special. I hear it's pretty bad. You know, I mean, that was kind of what I was thinking. And nothing could have prepared me, actually, for how bad it was. And we have this letter from David Graham. And I'm I'm curious as we start out with this, he says, the masochist Moriarty, did Dagan see this when it first aired? And I'm curious about that as well. Dagan, this first aired on television. Uh, let's see, November 17th, 1978. So a year and change after A New Hope comes out. Right. I don't know what took them so long. It's 98 minutes. It was uh, primarily sponsored by General Motors. So thanks.
2: Thanks, guys. The,
1: the recession in 2009 was your comeuppance <laughs> for funding this <laughs> Karma. Now, uh, 30 years later, karma. They remember we remember that General Motors funded. We're not going to forget this. The Star Wars holiday special. I'm curious, though. You were so you were five at this point yeah. or so. I'm wondering did you watch this at the time and when were you first when did you first become familiar with this because you had pointed out also when we were like oh we're going to watch this I, I in my mind I'm like I guess I got to get Disney Plus but I didn't realize how deeply disavowed this was and I actually still don't really know because I was I'm kind of I was loath I really want to watch like a documentary about it or something but I'm really loath before we talked about it to to even look because I don't want to be tainted like I'm literally like my virgin eyes and ears I just did this. I don't know what anyone else has really said or done, you know, and I'm just telling you from the gut, this is the worst thing I've ever seen.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully...
1: Dagan, did you watch the Star Wars Christmas special when it came out? What was your familiarity with it? How did you become familiar with it? it, Was it as bad as you remember?
2: Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. You have enough ammunition just by watching it. You don't need any other accompanying media reviews or any other thing, documentaries or anything. Go in cold. Kyle, first of all, (laughs) in an unprecedented move, a knockback first,
1: I'm going to need this. Oh, you're going to have a drink? I'm going to do the beer. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I got this next to me. I'm going to need it. going to need some sort of uh, help to get me through this one. Understood. And, you know, I have to start by saying my intentions were pure. What I was really going with this was, okay, what can we do for the audience this year for the holidays? We want to have a little bit of a holiday Christmas treat, something holiday specific. Last year, for instance, we did Home Alone. Just have something to play for you guys and talk about that's holiday-related around the holidays, whether you celebrate Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, whatever. So my intentions were pure. I thought it would be a really kind of a nostalgic journey, and also I was extra interested in it because what you're speaking to already, I have only seen this once, which is a very rare thing in nerd culture, right, that you only see something once. We talked about that with Ghostbusters, which people tended to be surprised to hear from us. I had only seen that once in the theater. I have only seen the Star Wars holiday Christmas special once, and I was actually four going on five in November of 78. By the way, if we just recorded this two days ago, we could have recorded it on the anniversary, which would have been kind of interesting. But I had only seen this once, and then the rest was, like you said, hyperbole, right? You hear about it over the years, how bad it is. You know, it was kind of disavowed by Lucas and his camp. Um, It only aired one time. And that's the one time I saw it, and then they've been spending the last the the past decades trying to bury this thing, so I thought it would be fun to go in and watch it, but it's funny everything you mentioned because I agree, I think this literally might be the worst movie slash t v related thing I've ever seen. I feel like if you haven't seen it yet, you should go watch it because I feel like. It's a badge of honor. Like you, you watch it, you get bragging rights. Very, very difficult to get through because like Colin said, not only is it extremely misguided, it's not fun at all. No. It's not funny. No, it's at all. It's not. No. And it's just straight up bizarre. The awfulness also has a timeless quality like I'm sure it was just as bad as 1978 I'm sure it was just as bad 10 years later 10 years after that and it's just as bad today it's just an awful awful thing to, to have to get through it feels like I know you and I spoke this a little bit already via text but it feels like you're watching something that's literally seven hours long I could not believe how slow the time was going watching it
1: me too I, I felt the same way
2: just just really really really, really a difficult and an arduous task to watch it. Unlike anything I've almost ever seen before. And I almost feel like you and I should get a medal. Like I I, kind of call back the end scene of New Hope, right? Where Han and and Chewie and and Luke are walking down and they're getting their medal. They're getting their commendation. I almost feel like that's us. Like we got through this. We're going to talk about it with the audience. I can't wait to get into it with you guys. Have a few laughs. But beyond that, it's it's so weird that it actually... I'll, t- I'll say this. You guys know how much I, I hate The Last Jedi. I would rather watch dr- Luke drink blue milk from the teat <laughs> of that sea creature uh... at length than ever having to see this again. I, I feel like I will never, ever have to endure this again, so I almost feel like there's a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering also, like... I'm pretty positive, dude. Can we be optimistic enough to find some good parts about
1: this? I'm not sure. I'm really not I, sure going in. There are a couple of things uh, there are a couple of things that happen that I'm like, that was pretty good or pretty fun. I will say that. But it doesn't matter. It's it's completely irrelevant. Uh, it it does not matter the good things because this is gonna be fun. This is horrible. I mean, so, this is really truly horrible. Now here's where I want to begin this conversation from my point of view, having never seen it. I'm really stunned. That this was allowed to happen at all, and I was remarking to Micah that, and I, I went and actually did look this up. So the no, I remember the novelization of Star Wars came out in 1976. Okay, and then 1977 the movie comes out. The novelization is really popular, so you have the novelization and then the movie. I consider those kinds of one thing, right? Okay, and then actually you have Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is the 1978 novel, and it comes out about six months before. Star Wars holiday special. Okay. So that's the second Star Wars thing that ever came out. Okay. In 1979, you get the Han Solo adventures, which I think you, didn't you buy me that for? Uh, yes. Yeah.
2: Got about that.
1: For Christmas a few years ago. Yes. You know, yeah, which yeah. is the, the kind of trilogy of very early expanded universe stuff from right around when the, the Empire Strikes Back was culminating. Therefore, this is the third official Star Wars product ever A New Hope, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the sequel, the now disavowed book sequel that they kind of wrote because they didn't know if they were going to be able to make Empire. And then this and what I said to Michael was, I was like, how did this not kill Star Wars? Because no one had any fucking idea what was going to happen after this. And I'm actually kind of amazed by that. I feel like if this happened today, that would have been so calamitous to that IP and that license. No, no hyperbole, no drama. That it would have been like, what the hell is this shit? We have this, we have this one movie that's pretty good, and then we have it's not great, right? At that time, yeah, right. That's you hard. have this book that no one read, and then you have the Christmas special that comes out a year later, and this is all people have until the Han Solo adventures start coming out in 1979. In the book, and then Empire is in '80, right? How is it possible that they got away with this? I don't. That's the thing that I don't understand, and I know that. This is kind of not pre, obviously VHS, because the only reason we have any copies of it is because people VHSed it at the time. But this was very early VHS in recording, and that is the only reason that, it, that it's findable today. Yeah. And I, there, there would have been no way for them to have done this any since the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. It would have been captured in HD and would have been, it would have been over for them. So how does that resonate with you? Did you think about that, that, that this is a very very early Star Wars product and when there's not much Star Wars it's like we were saying you know you, you kind of put all the shit into the pot and the, the stew's bad regardless of that there's one or two good ingredients in there I feel like similar situation where one third of your product is actually abysmal at this point <laughs> Did you consider that at all when you were
2: watching Absolutely. I mean, you think about that. And I I researched a little bit behind this. I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole. But yeah, first of all, what occurred to me was I was four going on five. I was just getting acquainted with Star Wars. I was just becoming a fan at this time. And I do, interestingly enough, I have very vague memories of watching this as well. I remember little Lumpy playing with the X-Wing toy. Like I have very specific memories of seeing it the first time. And they're kind of phantom-like and fading. But I do remember sitting there watching it. And I, I just think about kids that were about five years older than me. Avid Star Wars fans that knew a little better. 9, 10, 11, anywhere from 9 to 13. Can you imagine them seeing this? Now, they're hardcore, bona fide Star Wars fans at this point. A Star Wars TV thing in the late 70s? Yes, please. Like, of course you want to see that. You're waiting. All you had was the movie. And then the toys and whatever else you could glean, right? So as a kid that age that just wants more, that wants to devour Star Wars, like you were probably so excited for this. Can you imagine sitting down at that age, let's say you're 12 years old to watch this and just your your jaw must've been agape, you know? Because this is literally something that struck me. This more than anything I have ever seen in my life literally feels like it's for nobody. I mean, (laughs) it feels like it's made purposely for nobody that's odd that's just a very odd look and well said you know but the thing was this and it's it's amazing that it didn't backfire and you imagine too like let's say this came out this special came out to bridge the gap between say empire and return of the jedi or god forbid jedi and the next thing if there if there was going to be a next thing in the mid-80s let's say when star wars became a full-on phenomenon. It was already huge at this time, don't get me wrong. But that only snowballed as the years wore on from the late 70s through the early to mid 80s. So I can't even imagine if this came three years later, it might have been really destructive. But George Lucas intended it to to bridge the gap and keep Star Wars sort of on the edge of everybody's head and keep Star Wars relevant in between the films because he knew Empire was going to be a bold, huge, high-budget, ambitious undertaking that was going to take some time. And I'm not sure at the time of this airing in November of 78 of the special if Empire was in pre-production or production already. But it was in the offing. But he knew it wasn't going to be out for a while. So he was just, it was kind of a marketing move to keep Star Wars on the tip of everybody's tongue. And yeah, can you even imagine? And And the thing about Lucas, not only Lucas, but Harrison Ford, making jokes over the years and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill still talking about it and, and sort of talking about it with some kind of levity. George Lucas supposedly supervised this thing and of course called all the shots. He had final cut. It's his thing. So that's another interesting conversation where this became a, a sort of a blame game between everybody. That's, and I can understand, like, it's pretty embarrassing. It's a, an embarrassing thing. But yeah, yeah man, I you make a great point. I mean, if this came a couple of years later, I think it really could have imploded in everybody's face. So it's yeah, I, I I would
1: I'm of the mind personally that they dodged a bullet with this. For sure. I, it really could have fucked everything up. I just think that can't be overstated. I'm, I've been surprised that I haven't really heard anyone say that. Now, maybe that's because I'm not researching it deeply enough. I want to do more research after this one. I'm not so tainted by by other people's opinions, but. Yeah, I was reading a little bit that Lucas kind of has disavowed it and kind of acts as producer and blames basically people being like, we kind of just let them do whatever they want. And I wonder, I don't want to overstate it, but I wonder if this is kind of the or some of the origins of Lucas being very maniacal about control of Star Wars, about control of the entity and and making sure everything goes through him and stuff like that. And you can understand after the Christmas special, the Star Wars Christmas special. uh, Let's so let's. Let's talk a little bit about this now. All right. First of all, I thought the intro was interesting because Kenny Baker's just not involved in this. I just thought it was really funny. Like, first of all, they just cut Kenny Baker out. I researched that. I can't understand why that is the case. And R2D2 as R2D2. I was like, what? What? That's so so strange, especially because they have a little person playing Lumpy, obviously. So right. I thought that was a little strange. But <laughs> we are introduced to this the late 70s star wars variety show intro the falcons being chased by the Millennium falcons being chased by the a star destroyer Chewie is going home to celebrate something called the life day none of this makes any sense and what we learn in essence is that chewbacca has both a wife and a son and uh this in, in and of itself disturbs me now i guess i knew inherently in my mind that this was true <laughs> I don't remember when we go to Kashik in episode three. I don't remember anything about that. So oh, I'm not gonna, I know. I'm not I was thinking speak. the
2: same thing. I have. I, it's completely unclear in my memory.
1: So yeah, that that's like I do not remember that. But I will say that uh, as far as, so I don't know how they represent his family there. But I guess in my heart, I knew that he must have had a wife and a child because I knew that that was part of the Star Wars Christmas special or whatever. But I guess I just never anticipated seeing it, and it's really unsettling. In fact. We have a funny letter here from where is it? Uh, yeah, Matthew Foley writes in and says, hey, boys, at around the the what minute mark of the Wookiee segment, did you officially want to kill yourself? I checked out around the two minute mark. Who the fuck thought giving them a 10 minute segment of screeching and grunting was a good idea? It's insanity. Dude, it takes more than 10 minutes for a word of English to be spoken in this entire in this entire thing. It's what do you think about the uh, what do you think about the introduction to the Wookiees to this this Wookiee family. I want to say I'm looking here. I want to make sure I have their names right. Itchy, lump it, so Itchy, lump well, Itchy's the grandfather, I yeah, think. Lumpy is right. the kid, and then Mala is, is, the the, is the wife. What do you make of the this? The whole
2: Chewy family
1: tree. Yeah. yeah so exactly. Strange, man.
2: I mean, you know what? The first thing that occurred to me was like, okay, this got off to a pretty promising start for a, about a minute. You know, it's like Han and Chewy in the cockpit of the Falcon, granted a low-rent version of the Falcon yeah,
1: like a really low-rent Not rent a feature version.
2: film version. Like, let's just go right. with the TV version for the Falcon cockpit interior, you know? But it's like, okay, I can't, I'm i on board for this. Han and Chewie running from a couple of Star Destroyers. All right, this, this is getting off to a pretty good start. And then, literally, I think it's 11 or 12 minutes of just Chewie's family interacting via Wookiee grunts no subtitles no nothing i started talking to myself three minutes in and just didn't stop talking to myself i realized like i was saying like no like what like i was literally having a conversation with myself i could not believe that it just kept going and literally it doesn't stop i mean they don't even like cut away eventually you cut away to luke and R two doing their thing, and it kind of goes back and forth, but it takes almost 12 minutes to get there, which is unbelievable. And it just sets the template for not only exasperating shit that you have to watch, but just stuff every that seems to be the theme here. Everything goes on 10 minutes too long. For at least so
1: long. <laughs> everything. It's
2: just like, just, I feel like it was just the, the director behind the camera going, like, keep, just keep going. Just keep going, like trying to fill time. By the way, guys, we should mention this. This thing is almost an hour and 40 minutes long. This this is not a a half hour TV special that we were accustomed to, a typical prototypical one from the 70s and 80s. This was was feature length. And (laughs) we, Colin, I think, watched the same one as me. We had to watch it on YouTube. That's important to say. Somebody had a fairly high quality bootleg of this filmed... In the suburbs, the so- Ohio sub- the suburbs, it was like a Dayton, Ohio broadcast. Complete with no commercials, unfortunately, but they did have the stuff in the beginning and the stuff at the end. So we knew it was uh, going to be airing in place of The Incredible Hulk that night.
1: Yeah, that was cool. I liked that. Yeah. But
2: how long was The Incredible Hulk? Was it an hour? It wasn't a two hour show. So maybe it was a two hour yeah, block or something?
1: Yeah, it must have just been that. That's but your dude, yeah, in that we're into
2: it. We're in an inauspicious beginnings with this. It's just it's torture from the from the word go.
1: I have to say. Seeing the other Wookiees in this situation not yeah. later on, it made me appreciate how good Chewbacca's design is and how seamless he fits in with everyone. Even there's a scene where he and Han like hug at the end and Han is like, you know puts his hand on his chest and like pats him on the chest and i'm like this han and Chewie and Chewie and everyone just works and for some reason they just lost sight of i don't know what special essence uh, was a wookie i guess they were figuring it out on the fly we had never seen another wookie but make no mistake that lumpy character is a fucking demon spawn it's a i don't know what anyone was thinking especially because they do zoom they zoom in on him unironically and it's so good. But what did you think about the designs? Like the way they went with the Wookiees. We see more co- cogent Wookie designs. I guess maybe originally in Return of the Jedi, he had some thoughts, but and they went with the Ewoks, but we obviously see them in episode three and elsewhere in the in the EU. So we have an idea of what they look like sure. and what Kashik's like and stuff, but this is this is some interesting interpretation. I was actually surprised to see um some familiar artists' names in the credits. Like it seemed like they were working on some original source material, which makes it even more surprising. Yeah,
2: Ralph MacQuarie was involved in this. God forbid. By the way, million dollar budget—that seems awfully low, especially because you're you're encapsulating, you're pulling in actual movie stars, plus the cast of the films, which were becoming proper movie stars, and then having all these Who's musicians and everybody else behind the scenes. Ralph MacQuarie. So very strange egregious is really the word yeah itchy first of all the grandpa itchy is one of the most devastatingly horrendous designs i have ever seen i mean it's just unappealing it's just straight up ugly and then the lumpy character which is the kid which is chewy's son <laughs> kind of there was probably four or five minutes where i was trying to assess whether they were doing like the clutch cargo treatment like the super the superimposed human lips right, right, right. Through, like the blue screened Puppet or whatever, and it's not, but it does read that way. Yeah. And you know what? You said it so perfectly. I had the same exact thought. We're really on the same wavelength so far. It really does make you appreciate the appeal of Chewbacca the design, Peter Mayhew's performance, everything. It's like, why couldn't they just miniaturize that for the kid, make the wife look somehow a little more feminine, maybe a little palette swap? And the grandpa, I don't know, maybe make him look like a normal Wookiee. Maybe he has some gray hairs in there and he's kind of hunched a little bit. Did he have to look like that? He doesn't even look like a Wookiee. I don't know what's going on with that guy. He looks like he he hit every branch of the ugly tree.
1: (laughs) It's bad. It's really bad. And it's it's particularly bad because so much of this weird story kind of drives through his interaction with this. Bizarre technology that doesn't look like it's out of Star Wars at all. That's another thing, is that there just seems to be no coherence with the technology. They have like what is they, they clearly just cassette tape decks and and <laughs> QWERTY keyboard, keyboards like and shit. processors and shit. yeah, yeah. Like, there's a scene where Leia is sitting at a typewriter, <laughs> like, no
2: doubt, not even trying to like, ma- isn't it funny too? Like, even the setting, which is basically something that we're going to see later in endor and ewok village this is kind of like a prototype for that but the wookiee's home set way up in the canopies of the trees or whatever it really the interiors literally look like somebody's vacation summer cabin up in marin <laughs> Yeah, they have County. like
1: shelves of it didn't even look and- like
2: it didn't look like something it's like yeah that's somebody's vacation home up in marin like that it wasn't it's like I know that you only had a million dollars, but yeah, it's 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 jarring, especially if you're a fan of Star Wars and the technological setting and the futuristic vibe. Not only now do you have to think about Chewie's family, which is like a kind of a
1: bridge too far for me.
2: Now you have to see where they live and the way you know, it's just it's it's just odd. It's just very, yeah, it, very strange. It,
1: it is odd, especially because as I understand it, George Lucas's embryonic idea was that he wanted something about Chewbacca and his yeah. family. So it's not like they went off the reservation with that. I have to odd, ask this because yeah. I, I wrote this literally in my notes. Why does Luke look like a woman? <laughs> I thought this was really interesting because this is actually, as far as I understand, pre-accident for him when he gets a scar on his face and I've then heard they have to write things. that in. I don't know which is true. Well, because he looks too pristine. He does in this like he looks. He looks like a woman. He, in this. Really he does. does. Like, he doesn't look right. It doesn't, it's cool to see him in his, it just, it doesn't look right. It looks like he's, you don't like geisha, like a Luke? porcelain. Yeah, it's, just, it's very, yeah, it's like, it's like Luke that just walked off this, walked onto the set from, you know, got out of his Corvette or whatever and just walked onto the set and put on his X-Wing outfit. The There is a cool thing, though, that I do like, and I, I do want to throw in some things that I like.
2: Okay, okay. Positivity.
1: I like it. You do see Luke in the cartoon that we'll talk about later. Oh, sh- he flies a Y-wing, which I think is pretty cool. It's so a nice cool. touch. But this weird introduction to him, it reminds me a lot I was thinking about you obviously when I was watching it and, and your complaints about episode 7 wherein you were saying, "Why is no one together ever?" Like, why isn't Luke and Han and and in this no one's together again. It's again. You can tell like they they filmed with Harrison Ford and Peter Mayhew and then they filmed with Mark Hamill and then they filmed with Anthony Daniels and Uh, Carrie Fisher right right like those were the those were the units and they were never together
2: nope
1: what did you make of Luke's appearance in this do you agree that he looks (laughs) strange because I I really feel like it must be pre-scar he looks just too pristine I could uh, that's what I
2: originally thought that this must be pre-accident because he does he looks very young it's dazzling I mean his makeup is mesmerizing you can't look away it's haunting
1: I know it's really he
2: looks like you know what he looked like to me? He looks like an overgrown Campbell soup kid. Like, he's got the really rosy cheeks, the made-up complexion, the bling smile, like the cling, like super white teeth. He's got the hair put down. I, I had heard that it's because the makeup was so thick and cake-like, and he had the, ha- the kind of the down hairdo with the bangs that that was covering up. The injury, and there is
1: one oh. scene
2: where you could kind of see on the right, I guess it would be the right side of his face, you could see underneath that cake-up that there might be a little something there, like you could see the pox. that you, Of course, we'll go on to see in Empire Strikes Back, and mm. that's supposedly why he was oh, that's attacked by that the Wampa some, early on. But yeah. I've also heard both things. So I'm not sure which is true, but either way, it's daunting. And apparently, also, I think I heard Mark Hamill say that they also wanted him to sing. Can you imagine... If they just, if they just cross that boundary, like there's a Luke,
0: it's
2: in the X-Wing pilot outfit. So it's not, it's a little jarring to have (laughs) that level of like, he looks like Prince, you know, he's got a lot of makeup, David Bowie or something. Right, right. But singing also, apparently it was Mark Hamill who said no, that that's Carrie could sing. She also has an amazing voice. She's trained in, you know, the whole showbiz pedigree, but I'm not doing that. Thank God. That, yeah you know, i, I mean i was shocked that.
1: when she started singing i was like oh my god she's singing now like <laughs> what's happening here so i want to bring in one of the important guests so this i was telling micah that i think one of the important things that we have to do when we examine this although it is truly bad and truly bizarre is that we at least need context because she was watching it and she's like who are these did people? she watch and I'm like, it with you yeah okay. well, some of it okay. and i was like i didn't know who everyone was but i'm like obviously that's B. arthur it's R. carney and stuff <laughs> And you have to look at it through that '70s lens that these are famous people folding themselves in, and I think that might be one of the answers to your question, Digger, your inquiry about how did they do this on a million dollar budget. I would assume these people were probably thrilled to be involved with Star Wars. I would imagine that someone like B. Arthur or Art Carney, these people are probably fans and were very glad to be involved, right? And I'd argue that B. Arthur is like one of the better parts of this. But let's talk about Art Carney. Sure. He plays the traitor. Want to make sure I get his name right sawn dan and uh all i could think about it was, I was like art carney you fought and got injured on normandy in 1944 yeah did you expect these 30 years later that you'd be doing this maybe maybe not this is a i don't understand this character i don't even really understand what is going on with this character he's he appears he seems to know them But did you notice that he talks shit about them when they're not around, too? I I always thought that was really funny. (laughs) He he says something about he's like, oh, yeah, these just junk that the the Wookiees buy. And then like two seconds later, I don't understand he's like trying to protect them, but he's like real flippant about some of the things he says about the Wookiees. It's hysterical. But what did you make about Art Carney's character? He's kind of like maybe the main character, the protagonist of of the entire thing. Yeah, as far as,
2: like, the outsider, non-Star Wars, typical Star Wars characters, he probably is. It was so strange for me, man. If you just look at the three main outsider actors that starred in just this, B. Arthur, Art Carney, Harvey Corman, they, I mean, these are not <laughs> actors that you would immediately associate with appealing to the average Star Wars fan, which were kids, which is really strange Art Carney is particularly strange, and I find it particularly tragic. I think you're right. I think they probably did this, all these actors, these big actors probably did this or agreed to do this at a cut rate because, yeah, they want to associate themselves with the meteoric rise of Star Wars, even at that time, which they know is going to be a huge thing, and they're going to get that face time. But Art Carney, man, that's a that's a that's kind of a tragic one for me because... Just in reading about him, I didn't know too much about him. Of course, I always associate him with one of the earliest and one of the greatest pioneering sitcoms starring opposite Jackie Gleason, of all people, on The Honeymooners. I mean, that was a huge Mm -hmm. thing that he came from that background. And then, I never realized, won six Emmy Awards and an Oscar. I mean, this this is an actor of some stature. And doing this, you could see like, yeah, they were probably thinking like, yeah, this is a proper career move. I'm going to stay relevant. I'm going to get seen. Everybody's going to watch this, which I'm sure was true, even though it only aired once. But, and he does a good job. And I think you speak to the point too, that I think he was ad-libbing a lot. You know, you, you see that charm and you see that ease come through his performance. He's just a, he's just a vet and a pro and he makes it work. And he's kinda yeah. playing he's kinda of playing a flippant character. You know, he's pro, he's playing this like door door to door salesman essentially is really what he is. And he's a we, we find out he's a rebel sympathizer and all that kind of stuff. But he's pro he's he gets through it more unscathed, maybe with the exception of B. Arthur than anybody else. You know, he for some reason. He has the skill to carry it off even though it's very, very... What's happening is very, very strange. I can only imagine trying to give him direction and these people, especially these older actors and actresses, not to sound ageist, but like trying to steer them and navigate them through this must have been very hard and they, I could see them being very confused even if they've seen Star Wars because this is basically taking Star Wars and plunking it into the sketch variety show format which i understand it's weird i understand that was very popular coming out of all the pioneering things in the 50s and 60s 70s with snl carol burnett i understand that was very popular format but to do that with star wars is very very strange and to be able to translate what you were intent i don't think there was any intention here's something i'm going to say about this before i turn it back over to you which i i watch people review this and i didn't hear one single person say this this thing is completely drug addled. I mean, this thing, I think everybody who is associated with thing was on drugs. It had they Ryan had H- to be
1: Ryan H wrote in and said, hey, guys, genuinely, hey. what do you think the thought process was behind some of those segments? Do you think 70s cocaine was honestly <laughs> to blame? I love the show. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. Ryan. I agree. I, I agree with you. Just the special effects like the crystalline effect and all of that. It's just very Pink Floyd. It is. And very Studio 54. It just it and those are two different things but they're both drug-addled and i i totally agree with what you're saying there psychedelic it's a it's especially weird because they splice in proper a new hope footage that is very unsettling there's that whole scene in the beginning with vader that's just b-roll from with like some officer on the death star so it's a little it's a little strange from that that regard too and there are some cute bits he has Art Carney with like the pocket aquarium and like this random Death Star Gunner just comes in. Like You could tell they just had access to these costumes with no, just no idea what to do with them. I'm like, this is a Death Star Gunner. Why is he walking around in his Death Star Gunner outfit? It's like a TIE fighter walking, pilot walking around with his helmet around. It doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but I will say, I wanted to say, because we brought up Harvey Corman, obviously actor, comedian, also long deceased. I will say that the the Surprise cooking show, I thought was cute. I thought that that was a cute segment, like the cutaway to the cooking show. I thought it was uh, not even the interaction with the with Mala and stuff, but just this idea of like a Star Wars cooking show. For some reason, I be- I kind of believed it. I was watching it and I was trying to see myself in the Star Wars universe and watching this thing as the arm comes out. In the fu- I thought it was a kind of a cute idea. I must say, I liked that. What do you have? Do you have anything to say about that particular? Performance? I like that's one of a few things that I was like, yeah, that's that's good. That's fine.
2: I think yeah. Harvey Corman's great. I mean, he's probably, as a kid, I didn't know who B. Arthur was. And I could tell you I didn't know who Art Carney was. But I remember watching Carol Burnett. So he was, and he, of course, he's one of the main players in that. So I remember actually recognizing him. And of course, he plays a couple of different parts, not just this one. I think, I like your positivity here, man. I think the cooking show thing, obviously making fun of Julia, uh, Julia Child and the whole joke is the arms, right? That this thing has multiple, it's not, it looks like a, basically a humanoid chef on TV, but it becomes this alien thing. But like everything else, it just goes on way too long. I think Harvey Corman does the best he can with it. I and mean, it's certainly not the worst Harvey Corman performance in the thing, but it go, it's over long. It's, it's, I feel like, I know this was a George Lucas vehicle to make something centered around Chewie's family and the Wookiees. And then I, fe- I feel like they just couldn't figure out how to do it, and they probably had six or seven vignettes, and then just said, we're going to milk every one of these for all they're worth, instead of having more ideas or a better idea that would lend just 60 to minutes
1: length. instead of 90 minutes, you know? Wow. Um, some... Just goes, goes on mad? forever. Because I have to say this, too. Yeah. The- Fundamentally, the, sh- the is about Chewie and Han trying to get back to Kashik so they can celebrate Life Day. We have no idea what the fuck that means. <laughs> Obviously, this is a proxy for Christmas. I probably like a very friendly Christmas thing. Although it's a little surprising in the '70s, I'm a little—I I must be honest and say I'm not surprised they just didn't shove Christmas and Jesus Christ into this thing. It's 1978. It's not yeah. like where we, Islam is still somewhat irrelevant in the United States. Judaism more relevant at that point. Anyway,
2: it was pretty fashion-forward to be inclusive if that was the intent, which I'm sure it was. I, that,
1: yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. and I, I think that. But let's not lose sight of two things. Number one, the backdrop of the entire story is that Han and Chewie are under siege and might be dead because they're being chased by now by the Imperials. Now, they might they get a little thing where, oh, he's oh, well, like the traitor gives his thing where he kind of hints about where they are and stuff. But all of this weird shit is happening while Lumpy's dad's missing. But he's there with the VR headset, right? Enjoying himself, right? Chewie's missing He might be dead the, the, the man of the house might be dead but mal is making bantha surprised i just feel like that was a little strange like they never really get into that that mismatch of feeling and also why is art carney just showering gifts on these people for life day yeah he's giving them like expensive these expensive performative gifts but they never really explain why who is this man why is he so, he's like a Santa-like character, obviously. But why just to these people? What, did any of that matter to you, Dagan, as you were watching? That's I just couldn't get around these, like, weird thematic things where they never explain why everyone's just kind of laxadaisically going about their business as Han and Chewie might be dead, and then why this Art Carney character is just with them at all.
2: That's a great question. Where did he come
1: from? What, what is he doing there? That is a great, I mean, yeah, because he pops on
2: the scene. At first, he's doing the door-to-door salesman thing. He's trying to hawk his wares. And then all of a sudden, it turns to this very warm and tender thing where he's bestowing gifts, and there's this great familiarity. I and mean, it seems like they know each other. Talking about the Art Carney character and, and the Wookiees. Yeah, it takes a very strange turn. And then you he, he get this oppressive empire regime, this very big brother-esque look where they're kind of... They're kind of uh, coming and shutting everybody down and implementing a curfew and all this kind of stuff. It's a very strange... And then he becomes kind of tied in with the heroes. It's a very strange thing. And you're right, the whole thing, the whole MacGuffin is, are Han and Chewie safe? Are they alive? Are they going to make it back to Kashyyyk for this holiday? That's the whole template for the... It's very, very weird. Very weird. I don't think there was any intent other than putting bankable stars in this thing so yeah. you could pull in the kids yeah, right. then you could pull in the adults you could pull in the old timers so on and so forth
1: could it be that because i know that they were planning as i understand kenner was maybe planning on some toys on this that were obviously quickly aborted wow, I didn't but know i'm wondering that. i'm wondering if that was the idea lucas was always a shrewd marketer sure knew exactly what he was doing actually incredibly important in the creation of the toy market as we understand it today i i don't think that can be Overstated there were action figures started with Star Wars, essentially. So as we know them, yeah. hard plastic, not dolls like our parents were playing with, but which are fine, too. But I feel like with within all of this weird shit is just that you have this imperial officer snapping his finger at everyone. You have Art Carney trading things You have all this weird, clearly earthen technology, this weird set with Leia and 3PL. But I did want to get into some of the musical performances as well, because we were talking about them. What did you make about the Diane Carroll shit? That was so weird. And I was I was actually a little astonished by. I don't know, that's a little sexual. Even. It's very like, sexual. It, and I just don't feel like it's always implied, right? We know we understand that Padme and Anakin have sex, right? Have Luke and Leia. We get it. This <laughs> seemed a little more. This seemed a little more overt right and a little force it actually reminded me of um finn and rose kissing in ep- episode eight where i'm like this is so awkward like it's so out of place in star wars what did you make about her strange performance obviously a very talented actress and singer yeah who was in many things but i don't know what what this was all about it's,
2: it's so off-putting you know the but the first thing that occurred to me was okay they're trying to drag in every genre of music and performance right you got psychedelia with jefferson starship you got it feels like a little bit of disco with diane carroll then you have you know you even have show tunes you're bringing in juggling interpretive dance modern dance acrobatic like it seemed like every sort of entertainment was trying to tie you trying to tie everything into this one thing that i mean the hollow chess scene is is the first strange thing
1: right oh yeah the dancing i the forgot dancing. about that yeah that 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 shit is weird, weird. I, I, t- I actually sent you a picture of that did. as i was watching it. i'm like this shit is weird that's if, that it, is it's really weird. Un- it's, weird. it's unsettling it's unsettling
2: it's right? unsettling and it's weird and it just seems completely not only misguided but it just seems random it's like all right how can we tie in the hollow chess table oh we're gonna do this we're gonna bring in these characters they're gonna do some modern dance slash acrobatics a little juggling for the kids like It's, it seems like they were like, it it really seems like people that were in their nineties trying to make a decision of what was still considered entertaining or whatever. It's really, it seemed dated even by 1978 standards. And then the Diane Carroll thing, really, if you really watch it, it's like VR porn, right? It's saying to, it's saying to itchy, like, check this thing out. I got this machine. Yeah, He's like, I know
1: what you like. I think that's like something he says. It's pretty much.
2: Yeah. You're not even paraphrasing. I think that's what he actually says. And he puts him underneath this stainless steel, what looks like a, a hairdryer in a, in a salon, a stainless right, which steel which it probably version. was. Goes into yeah. this VR trip, where he's basically being seduced by this very 1970s-esque, beautiful, albeit beautiful, but it's like, where does this fit into Star Wars? It seems like, I'll say this, again, without hyperbole or exaggeration, it seems like they were trying to purposely... Make it feel as un Star Wars as humanly possible. And it was only one movie so far. Granted, it was, this wasn't an entire franchise yet. It was very few things, including the first film. And it still felt like, all right, how can we make this not feel like Star Wars?
1: Well, they succeed. They do. In every way. They really That's do. And, and again, you know, Diane Carroll, Tony Award winner, Emmy Award winner. Huge like, these are not? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just very strange. All right, so Jefferson Starship. I got to know what you think of this. I like Jefferson Starship sometimes. I find them annoying. This song is horrible. I don't I've never heard this song. Okay. You don't like this song. No. I think the vocals are so bad. Now it's cool. It's cool because this is a it's like watching um like uh Devo or listening rather listening to Devo or what what's that uh Clockwork or whatever that old band was from oh, the Kraftwerk. 70s that that Kraftwerk, right? Yeah. Where it's just like really prototypical embryonic early synth vibe. And it's super cool. And I give Jefferson Starship a lot of credit because they were Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. And I think that they saw not that the complete continuity, but they kind of like remade the band. I actually think it's kind of neat. They really did that, that they did that. But this song, I, I just again, it's like, why is Jefferson Starship in Star Wars? What is going on here? The people that's saying we built this city are in Star Wars. And by the way, ah. I didn't know this. I did look at this. Yeah, that they they apparently until Disney took it over and I guess, you know, purged the EU okay. that there was some not like, there was some assertion that like, no, this really did happen. Like Jefferson Starship really was in Star Wars, like, like in in the continuity. In other words, no, R. Carney really was on Kashik, and Mala is really Isn't Chewbacca's that so funny. What do you think about the Jefferson Starship? By, by the way, I, I want to say this. I was just reading my notes. I, I do have to say this. We were just talking about this on the show recently. Yeah. Uh, about something else about how when music's played improperly in movies and TV shows, like when a band's playing and it's not playing, being played properly, it annoys the shit out of me. And it's the, how does Jefferson Starship not know how to play their own song? Go watch it. <laughs> watch the drummer.
2: I have to watch this again because I do remember thinking last night, this song's not that bad. So, but I sure. trust your taste, and I was also. Here's the thing about this thing that you guys should know going in as well. If you're even in the slightest bit tired, you're going to fall asleep watching this. There's no way. I challenge you to stay awake. I I would really consider if you want to have a cohesive viewing, watch it as soon as you wake up, like a half hour after you wake up, so you don't yeah. have a chi- because I fell asleep a couple of times and I had to re- go go back and then sort of watch the adjoining scenes as they get the continuity, the continuity. But Starship, I feel like, it, again, it was kind of an egregious move to kind of appeal to everybody. It was like, all right, we have Diane Carroll. Now we'll get the kids with the Starship. They love the Starship. So we'll get them in there. One thing important to say, one upside to this, a, a bit of positivity, is the John Williams score, the music is played throughout. Of course, they have the rights to it, just like Colin's saying with the with the costuming and the props and all that kind of stuff. That's one upside. John Williams music and quite a few pieces actually are heard is, is heard throughout. So anything that was recorded up to this point, and star Wars had a lot, new hope had a lot of great tracks. That's one upside. We see, we hear a lot of John Williams legendary score, which is cool. The starship thing. I don't remember really bothering me. I mean, it's, it's another thing where it's a, it's a VR bit, that's lumpy cut, cutting away to that one right that he's
1: he's i think so yeah right so the kids Lumpy's feeling that Lumpy's fantasizing feeling
2: that about starship playing and they're on like a black screen <sighs> with purple lighting and it's very why is he
1: fantasizing about starship playing i don't understand like why is it i mean i guess it's one of the gifts from the the trader but why st- i don't know it's very why strange. starship by the way i was writing in my notes is they're not what is with the talisman? I don't even know what's going on with the talisman in this. There's something about a talisman and like a virus, right? In this yeah, as yeah, well.
2: but I, you know what? I, I don't know who the hell
1: knows. Yeah, I don't I don't understand that either. All right. So I do want to talk about the coolest part of this, no doubt, which is the cartoon aspect oh, yeah. of it that introduces Boba Fett. This was really good. I thought it was awesome. I, I, I was that Rod Serling doing the the voiceover. I don't think stuff? so. That's a great question, like but it. I don't think so. Yeah, you'll listen to it again. Sound, sounds just like him. maybe maybe it is. See. It seemed very Japanese inspired, as I understand it, a Canadian studio did it. But the big eye, it seemed very Japanese to me. And I like certain touches in it. I Like I said earlier, I like Luke flying the Y-Wing. It's cool that Boba Fett's in it. And we kind of see Boba Fett and Luke interact in some weird way and actually saves Luke and kind of sets the precedent for hoth and for bespin what happens at those places with the secret because they mentioned the the hidden rebel base they mentioned all sorts of things that i guess are getting things into the fold but i find it so peculiar again that boba fett comes from this yeah and i wonder who does do you know anything about like whose design was this and why did they how did they identify that this was a character that was of relevance i just wonder i don't know enough about that i was afraid to read about it because i didn't want to spoil things for myself i have to go back and look at that now but what do you make about this cartoon about its style and its design. Is it the best part of it to you, too? I think it must be. And what do you think about Boba Fett in it?
2: It's definitely cool. It's definitely the best. It's by far, far and away the best part. And it's, yeah, Boba Fett's debut. This is his big debut. Animated by Nelvana up in Canada. I think they're in Toronto. Still around today. Big animation studio. And, of course, animation is a huge thing up in Canada. It has a very rich history there. And the 70s in particular in Canada with animation, especially on the east eastern seaboard, they d- really did have a very rich sense of design, very avant-garde approach to design. It almost looks like early, if you look at the design itself, the character design in particular, it almost looks like early Peter Chung of Eon Flux fame. It, I don't think he is associated with it, but it's it's a very bold design choice that I think kind of adds a little bit of a bizarre quality that makes it fit in but it also makes it kind of timeless and keeps the discussion relevant because it's actually fairly well animated but also the design choices are really striking and it's also important to note that this is the first time we've ever seen Star Wars anything animated. Later on, we would have the Ewoks cartoon, we would have the droid, Droids cartoon, I believe Nelvana both, animated bo- both of yeah, the series. Yeah, both
1: done by them, as I understand, yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. But this
2: was a really bold, you know, this was a, a higher budget, only a few minutes, for what was it, f- five or six minute interlude, so a little bit, they could throw a little more money at it, make it a little better, and of course, the actors are doing the VO, the actual act, voice actor, voice acting in the piece, which is really cool. And not only that, but some of these things, some of these design choices, especially with Boba Fett, have been leveraged now in the continuity. For instance, in The Mandalorian, he has that rifle with the taser tips on it, which they took directly from, which was a direct nod to this cartoon. In fact, when I first saw The Mandalorian, maybe even in trailers, and I noted that, I was like, wow, they took that exactly. From the animated segment of the holiday special, which is a cool little nod to it.
1: It is. And they've acknowledged it since, right? Like, that's the one piece of this that is now on Disney Plus. So it's, it's, we've yes, been they rehabilitated about that. So, right.
2: But you know what's interesting, Kyle? In the beginning, when the narrator or the, the, is doing his VO and he's introducing everybody, they talk about, they say, in an animated segment, and it, the guy kind of pauses and it seems like he's going to say, Buy, by Nelvana Entertainment or Nelvana Limited, but he doesn't. Which I think is a very strange thing. It almost seems like they intended to say it, but then they didn't. Like maybe something contractual popped up or there was some sort of disagreement. But I I love the, I think it's so cool. And like you mentioned earlier, you get to see Luke in a Y-Wing, which we never get to see again. And it's also the most interaction we ever see between Luke and Boba Fett ever.
1: Yeah, it's so- cool because they fired each other in Bespin, but that's it, which is cool in and of itself. It kind of ruins it, though, in my mind where I'm like, that it was cool that Luke and Boba Fett were kind of encountering each other there for the first and didn't time, Didn't really have. Right. And didn't really have. I don't want to say didn't have beef with each other, of course, but they weren't there for each other. Like Luke's trying to get out. He's 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 not supposed to be there at all. He it's gets the ship point. and beat out of him by Darth Vader later. Yeah. So it's just an interesting thing where they Boba Fett's kind of moving through this, but they're already familiar with them. It doesn't really make any sense because Luke is familiar with Boba Fett when they go to Bespin Han Solo. Acts like this is a kind of a thing with him and Jabba and everything else. So, something to worth worth noting that doesn't really make sense in the continuity in my mind.
2: And early stuff too, like you see Boba Fett using a jetpack, stuff that they definitely carried over, and stuff that they didn't carry over, like riding, having the dinosaur mount, and all that kind of stuff. That's you know later replaced by the Slave One. But yeah, I was hoping to see the Slave from... One in
1: there. I was I was keeping my eye out. I'm like, wow, did they, maybe it came from here too, but no, no sign of the Slave. I feel like um a few other things that I would like to talk about mm. before we wrap up if there's anything else we <laughs> want to talk about because we have to we have to obviously talk about the Arthur segment, but there are a couple of other things that are weird. I love the scene when the Imperials just go and fuck up Lumpy's room. I think that's like so funny. They're tossing this kid's room like they're the FBI, which I think is just a funny scene. That weird Android computer oh, model so scene shocking. is horrible, really bad. But let's go dig it with with great haste into this mose isley so-called kind of documentary thing now with Be arthur i love Be arthur she's i awesome. think anyone that knows me knows that i am a huge golden girls fan straight up not ironically i think that is a wonderful funny inappropriate beautifully acted show wonderful still stands show. up today Best highly favorite. recommended it's it's definitely top five sitcoms of all time. oh i agree Beyond i, a shout I out agree with that,
2: with that. Oh, for sure.
1: So seeing B. Arthur in this, B. Arthur, I think B. Arthur is doing Maud around this time. Yeah,
2: I'm, she just finished. Yeah. Now,
1: now, this is a little bit of controversial. Maud's a pretty controversial show for in the 70s because it's about a very feminist, forward-looking woman. I think there's like an abortion storyline on there. I and think shit. so, yeah. So her inclusion in this is pretty bold at this time, but she's incredibly talented. And <laughs> there's something weird about this where I was looking at, I was staring at it, and I'm like, B. Arthur, as a Mose Eisley cantina bartender, do I believe it? And I was like, yeah, I don't hate it. She I don't it. hate it at all. Yeah. In fact, I don't really even hate the performance. No. I just don't understand what the point of this was. <laughs> very weird, very weird stage like song, right? That you would expect to see it in Broadway. And I think the strangest part of this to me is that B. Arthur is interacting with, Figrin Dan and the modal nodes she's interacting with snaggletooth yeah and hammerhead she's interacting with all of these different characters I'm like this is unbelievable I I, this is probably the most unbelievable part of the of the entire show to me was they went into the costume room and they revived all of these characters including some characters you only see for like a couple frames yeah the character with the the horns like you see some of these guys for much longer than you ever did in Mose Eisley. This is like a kind of a nice piece of lost footage almost of what those costumes looked like. But she has that iconic voice that you can't get away from as she's singing this "Good Night, but not goodbye song that I can't help but connect to Dorothy Sporneck, But it's not really her fault because this is obviously predating Golden Girls by years. So it was cool to see her here. And I almost was wondering like, damn, if she, was she, could she have been in A New Hope and it could have actually just worked? Not in her, like, weird, she's getting flirted with, and this guy wants to, like, bang her, and she's pouring things into his head and all that, but (laughs) just her there. Like, I didn't have a problem with B. Arthur being there. I don't know. That was my takeaway from this, but obviously a very profoundly weird end or near end to this entire sequence.
2: It's so strange, man.
1: I mean, yeah, she could have sold the
2: New Hope thing, right? We don't serve droids here. She could have done that. Right. I love, she really B. Arthur, Beatrice Arthur. As she is introduced mm. in the beginning of this, she does have really does have a great charisma. We learned that in '85 when Golden Girls starts. Dorothy Spornak is one of the great characters,
1: right? Yeah, her deadpan look, like when she's insulted, is some of the funniest stuff ever because they always <laughs> the camera just always goes to her, right? So and she's always good. just like staring. You yeah, know, it's
2: great. And she she's does great. have those mannerisms that she would later reprise seven or eight years later in Golden Girls, which is interesting to see. And you're right. You know what I love about her in this is that she does commit. She's all in for the performance. She's not treating it like it's an afterthought. And she really does sell it. You're absolutely right. And she does have that Broadway pedigree. I think she was in Fiddler on the Roof and she did other things so she could carry that. She has that charisma. She has that stature. And she is pretty charming. In the mm-hmm. role, it's just odd because the whole thing about her performance is she's being as the proprietor of this decidedly not as dark version of the most Cantina, right? Not as, not as threatening, a little softer, a little more preschooly. She's being flirted with by this customer that she's trying to avoid. And then the story turns to the Empire implementing this curfew. And she has a whole song about just trying to get everybody out of the bar. I mean, again, I think it's really a key word.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's so weird it's weird. It's just
2: really, really strange. But you do get she's good enough where you get lost in that bit a little bit. Again, it goes on too long. There's a lot of weird stuff. She's pouring the drink on the top of Harvey Corbin's head, you know, in a little spout on top of his mm-hmm. head. She's interacting with known, most icy cantina, like Colin said. Hammerhead, walrus Man, Snaggletooth. And other nameless figuring Dan and then other yeah. nameless uh most Sites of the cantina customers. But yeah, it's you know, it's it's really, really weird and it's the third is it the third part that Harvey Corman plays? Because he plays the Julia Child alien. He plays Yeah, the and then he plays the infomercial the Android Android yeah. guy that's glitching. And then he plays this unrequited this love. Love
1: right, right. And the Bar good night, customer. good night, but not goodbye. And I didn't hate the song, but you're right; it's just like this feels like something that doesn't belong here. It's weird. It's just the content, though. It's not the actor. It, no, I. No, I don't know. I don't. I don't have much more to say about this, honestly. Other than that, I thought the end was really weird when Han is basically like they kill the stormtrooper and then he like kicks he's like they're going to be looking for his body and they kicks the gun off of the thing it's like i'm like wow that's fucking dark This things like thousands
2: of feet in the air this treehouse
1: right. so it's it's but i don't know man like i feel like this can be unless you are really curious like morbidly curious i feel like it's a safe skip i don't feel like i gained anything other than context from watching this And I really, truly believe it's one of the worst things, if not the worst thing I've ever seen. I I, agree. It's what I said at the top. It's it's there are things I don't like that I think are bad that don't get anywhere close to as bad as this. I don't
2: remember time moving slower. I mean, time moves at a snail's pace when you're watching this. Fifteen minutes feels like an hour. Yeah, I agree. It's it's almost like they did that on purpose. It's done that that to that end. This thing is done with, su- with such skill that it almost seems like it's on purpose. I-, I was really, it's really borderline torture of a way to spend an hour and 40 minutes. And by the way, you have all these Imperial officers in this. Something I realized, I need my Imperial officers English. They can't be, they can't have American accents. It just doesn't work. I need, I need the English. I need the British, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I gotta g- have I- that. It, I don't know what that for some reason they didn't do in this
1: the, the the casting of the officers and the everything was so weird it's just right. it's just really weird I'm surprised that knowing how litigious Disney is that they have not gone after this recording on YouTube that was what was a big surprise to me was it has like millions of views I, they have to have been able to strick, stricken this thing I, I wonder if they just realize it'll keep popping up over and over again right and so just let it go somebody's gonna put it up right so just let it go and, and it is amazing
2: that it's had that life though Granted that it was only aired once and that's purely existed off of bootlegs, which is very, I mean, again, we watched this 1978 Dayton, Ohio broadcast of this thing. I do feel like if you haven't seen it, I would be very surprised hearing all of this, that you wouldn't just be curious, but I will say that assuaging your curiosity isn't really satisfying in this case. I could. I, no. I am telling you that you don't need to watch it. But I feel like the more we say that, the more people are just going to be like, "I have to see what the hell this is all about." Maybe, yeah. And I mean, maybe that's just watching the first ten minutes and saying, "Yeah," and throwing your hands up and saying, "Yeah," you know what? They're right. This is just
1: yeah a morbid curiosity. Way to spend two hours. I think you can give into that morbid curiosity, and I will say because I know it's on Disney I, Plus that I, I, the the Boba Fett cartoon is totally worth watching because it's just so it's so interesting
2: it really is
1: there is a shot in that too where han's mouth is moving for like a long time but he's not saying anything i don't know if you noticed that like they totally edited the script at some point no i didn't If you go back and watch it there's like this thing where for like seconds his mouth's moving but nothing's not saying anything and then he starts talking
2: oh i gotta watch
1: that but that aside like it there's something about the earliest star wars stuff that is fascinating to me when they didn't really know what it was and i think from some sort of almost anthropological point of view, because Star Wars is so important to society that you can, it's interesting to go back here. And I feel like this is a real butterfly effect moment. I feel like you re-roll this die a, few, a couple times and it hurts Star Wars in the mind's eye. It hurts Empire Strikes Back. It, it's, I feel like it can't be understated how dangerous this was. I, I, I know that sounds like a, an overstatement, but it's definitely not. It's definitely not. And uh, I think they dodged a bullet here. And I think that if they tried this shit. Not only they would have never tried this after Empire or Jedi because it's just too good at that point. Yeah, and I don't too think big they would have done though. something like this. But if you just moved a New Hope into the 80s or even in the 90s, and then Star Wars started at that point, then they tried that shit afterwards. That would be the end of Star Wars. Th- I agree. Would have, you know what would, would, have it, never, would have been yeah.
2: the line of demarcation? Kyle? I'll tell you exactly where it would have been. Our knowledge of finding out that Vader was Luke's dad put Star Wars over the over the moon. That was it. That was the end. But at that point, you couldn't really mess with it. But here's an interesting thought. Arguably, the best piece of Star Wars came out not two years after this. So they followed the worst, probably piece of Star Wars with literally the best piece of Star Wars. How did that happen? Yeah. True enough. Very strange. Very, very weird. And you know, I, I love that. It's also proof positive that Lucas is just a weird guy because Apparently, he had about nine different Star Wars stories. Eventually, he would tell his six mainline stories. It took years, a lot longer than anybody thought it would initially take. But he did tell those six stories. And then supposedly three or four side stories that he had in his pocket, in his clip, one of these things was a vehicle for the, for the Wookiees. And that's what this came out to be. And apparently, he did have Final Cut and approved this stuff. I'm talking about everything from the acting choices to the the casting crew matte paintings models, everything, I think he had and you yeah, know, the a paintings lot of,
1: of it, Kashuk were so we were, we're fine, but they were they just it's so bad I mean
2: ends. a lot of it was probably right he's he's nouveau riche, he's got all this money now he's got millions like you said, he had a pioneering give him credit, right he took a very small like a stipend of a pay of a salary for Star Wars to have. All that back end. He was like, "Yeah, I'll direct that thing for eighty thousand, but I have like ninety percent of this merchandise." And they were stupid enough to say yes. Right. So you know, give him credit for that, but definitely, I it's just amazing. think Lucas can hit or miss. I, I really do. I think it really comes down to that. I think it, he can really hit or miss, and it depends who he surrounds him with for said project. I, I really do think that. And I think, you know, if you look at Star Wars Christmas holiday special and you look at Empire Strikes Back, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. that's fair enough. It's, it's a good point within two years, within resonance of each other. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Star Wars Christmas special is on YouTube <laughs> as of the time we were recording this. You can go search for it and find it there. The Dayton, Ohio, 1978 airing of it, complete with its watermarks and everything. Dagen, let's uh, end every episode of Knockback as we always do with a dad joke. Kyle, do you remember
2: the swirling special logo? Do you, is that something that you remember growing up with? Because that is one of the most nostalgic. This is the thing that I don't know if it was CBS or NBC or ABC. I think it was CBS. They had that special graphic with that musical sting that aired right before Charlie Brown Christmas or whatever special thing. Yeah, was
1: vaguely, playing. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like that would indicate that it's a. A special production. I don't
2: know that there's any more nostalgic three seconds for me. Hearing that music, hearing that sting, and seeing that graphic before watching something over the holidays is just like, yeah, wow. I was so glad that that was included in that recording. And I wish a proper payoff would have been if they left the
1: commercials in there. You I know, agree. I, I said it to Mike. Nostalgia. I was like, God damn. I, I said that to Mike. I was like, God, it's a real shame that the Why
2: did there. they edit that out?
1: Yeah, I agree. Right? Totally. That, was, that would have been the coolest anthropological part of the entire experience. It would have
2: made it worth it.
1: You know, then you would just be
2: sitting and waiting every 10 minutes to see that. C- keep, keep us going a little bit. Kyle. Agreed. Yes. A cheese factory exploded today in France. Mm. Debris is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I can't not hate that. Not bad, right? No, not bad at all. That comes to us from
2: a, t- a friend on Twitter, but I forget who it was. So I'll just say Twitter friend.
1: Twitter friend. Thank you, Twitter friend. Thank you, Twitter friend. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and supportive knockback and all things Last Stand Media. Patreon.com slash Last Stand Media for your kind support over there. Get your name in the credits. Get early ad-free access to the shows. Uh, submit topic ideas. Submit questions to the you know for the show, for our Q&As, all of those kinds of things. Also, merch. Laststandmedia.shop. Free feeds. Leave us nice reviews. Follow us on YouTube. Whatever. Do what you want. I don't care.
2: I feel like this episode is proof of our love. Can I just say that?
1: Yeah, this is taking everything out of me. Like, this is the, I got to it. What end do you today. guys want? I know. Leave, just what please. We did. stop. Did the best we could. <laughs> Dagan, appreciate your time. Thank you all out there again. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Jorge Palmino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacio, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Allen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Mike Michael Buffel, Troyless True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Norman, Nuke Dukem, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalique Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Tron's, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadeth, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti and Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali. Fritz, Derek O, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVayo, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelich, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert Third, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andruchek, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkel, Combiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrero, Lennon Brixie, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vazquez, Adam Kinniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey holliger Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson-Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.